0: Good morning, and welcome to Fiber Hooligan. For the next hour or so, I'd like to invite you to grab your cup of coffee, tea, or caffeine-free A&W Diet Root Beer, if that's your beverage of choice, and settle in for the third episode of the return of Fiber Hooligan. For those of you who are wondering who the heck I am, I am your host, Benjamin Levisay. I am also the CEO of XRX, home of XRX Books and Stitches Expos. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm broadcasting live from my home office in Harrisburg, South Dakota. If you are tuning in for the first time, Fiber Hooligan is a podcast dedicated to bringing you interviews with the best of the fiber arts and makers world, including experts, business people, and designers in the crafts of knitting, crochet, spinning, dyeing, weaving, sewing, quilting, embroidery, as well as anything else that I think is interesting. I want to welcome new listeners today. Thank you for tuning in and trying out the show. I hope you enjoy it. I can't wait for us to get to know each other better. And of course, I'd like to welcome back our Fiber Hooligan listeners who used to tune in to the original show so many years ago. Your ongoing support means so very much to me. Okay. My guest today is Cecilia Nelson-Hurt. Cecilia's pronouns are she and her. As a diversity and inclusion practitioner, Cecilia Nelson-Hurt has over 15 years of diversity, equity, and inclusion experience. Currently, Cecilia serves as the Assistant Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at L'Oreal USA where she is responsible for shaping diversity efforts through innovative initiatives that underscore the company's commitment to create an equal opportunity workplace. In addition to leading the company's affinity groups for the LGBTQIA and women's color, women of color employees, Cecilia is also responsible for the curriculum development and facilitation of all L'Oreal USA diversity and inclusion trainings, having trained over 15,000 employees to date. Her maternal grandmother first introduced Cecilia to the fiber arts. She learned crochet when she was very young. Cecilia later taught herself to knit and has been an avid knitter for over 20 years. And we'll get to that. At the intersection of passion and purpose, Cecilia combines her love for knitting and advancing diversity, inclusion, and belonging with a goal to affect and create more inclusive, a more inclusive fiber community. A self-proclaimed citizen of the world, Cecilia loves to travel. She makes sure to visit a yarn shop wherever she goes. Today, Cecilia has visited over 130 shops in the United States and abroad. She chronicles her travels on CC Knits the World YouTube channel, on her CC Knits the World YouTube channel. Cecilia is married to an adventurous and supportive yarn husband, Jerome, and is the mother to an incredible daughter, Atris, and a fabulous four-legged furry daughter, Dallas Jade. Cecilia is not only a wonderful communicator, she is passionate and genuine. She is also recently recovering from the coronavirus, so I'm pleased to have her on the show. Cecilia joins us today from her home in, believe it or not, Corona, Queens, New York. (laughs) Good morning, Cecilia, and welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Benjamin. Thank you for having me.
0: This is exciting. It's exciting, you know, and I miss talking to you.
1: I do. We always have such great conversations. I sincerely love our
0: time i I really do too, you know, can you believe it was just like um uh well less than a year ago that we met for the first time?
1: back when we took things for granted, like hugs, right
0: like the back we took yes, because I remember getting a hug when you left were were in, exactly. uh, when we were in the midwest um for those of you folks that don't know Cecilia and I first met uh she came to Midwest along with Lewis uh and some other folks um to do a diversity panel at Stitches Midwest 2019 and, and she was the moderator and kept things rolling around and did a, a fantastic job. And then before and afterwards, I got to spend some time with her and, and well, you know, she's just plain fun too. So, um, you know, brilliant yeah. and fun. You know? So that, that's a, it's a nice combination, and and you have been a friend. Every so often, I've had a, yeah. a hard question. You always invited me to give you a call or a text, and, you, and you've you've given me good counsel over the over the last half year.
1: Thank you, and I definitely hope to c- continue to serve in that capacity in any way that in any way that, that I possibly can. So I love that you could consider me uh, part of your own personal board.
0: <laughs> well, you know. It, when somebody is as smart as you offers help, I'm 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 smart enough to realize <laughs> that yeah, you know I'll, I'll take help. Um, you know, especially there are many things I have to learn. There's many things we all have to learn, but especially right? learn. there's many things yeah. I have to learn. It's, we all have to learn. And uh, so, in that uh, spirit, let's let's get on with the interview. So, Cecilia, talk talk to me about your story. Talk to me about growing up and your background and your family.
1: Sure. Yeah. So you know, I, I've I've really, as I've done other types of of lectures and and conversations at work, and particularly um, in the past year in the knitting community, I've 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 interwoven my my grandmother. Everyone knows my grandmother as Grandma Sophie. While well, she was the mother to one and the grandmother to one and the great grandmother to one, where we come from, a long line of single. Uh, um, children, but my grandmother served in the community as grandma to everyone. And so I start with her because my grandmother made the decision um, many, many years ago in the late 50s to come from Panama. So my family, um, my origin is from Panama by way of the Caribbean. So my family moves from Jamaica to Panama to work on the Panama Canal. But my grandmother had visions of a different life for herself and made the decision to leave her daughter with her mother and her and um, her husband and and come to the to the U.S. and you know she had a vision of becoming a seamstress and ha- had aspirations for fashion. She shared that with me later in life. She also shared that at that time she wasn't able to get a job or get enrolled in proper training classes, and so ultimately. Worked um, as a as a house aide, so she she cleaned house and cared for people until she was able to get a job as a seamstress in St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital, and so back then, people actually sewed the doctors' coats and the nurses' uniforms. So I would imagine that if she was if this was happening, in with COVID, she would have been on the front line in some way, shape, or form. Even retired, she would have been sewing masks and doing something. So. My grandmother really instilled in me an amazing work ethic, and she was a tactile woman, so not only did she did, did she um, sew for her work, she also at home came home and did her curtains, did, did um, her she, she did her own slip covers, made tons of clothes for me, and also taught me how to crochet and so I bookmarked that to my love of crochet was introduced to me. I must have been like six or seven, an only child quite. Precocious, um, so my grandmother used that as her way to calm me down, and I loved it. Um, part right, and so my training from a work perspective really starts when I um, started working at, at J.P. Morgan Chase, and I went through a management development program there. And through this program, I got exposed to marketing and internet and events and all these these wonderful things that I did not know existed. I knew I wanted to do something in, in marketing, and I, I I call myself everyone's chief marketing officer. If you have if you have a an idea or a plan, I'm ready to come with you with, with ideas for the naming and how to connect with your consumers and so forth. And so through my time at J.P. Morgan, I ultimately ended up in their campus recruitment team. To do events and manage their internet and JP Morgan branding, not realizing that here I am moving into an HR role. I'm not a trained HR professional or wasn't at the time. I just was great at events and so forth. And so moving into this campus role was my first opportunity to have conversations around diversity, uh, representation being involved in the campus team. So we, would, so we would go to historical black colleges, and I learned how to interview, um, ultimately learning that I had a skill set for identifying and developing talent. Um, and then I also served as a lead of the J.P. Morgan Affinity Group for People of, of, of Color. And so those, those are my first times really getting exposed to conversations around diversity, the conversations around making sure that in order for, inclusion, right, so diversity just is we're just i different, but inclusion is intentional. So the conversations and what do we need to do at JP Morgan to make the climate more in, intentional for both women and and, and and people of color at the time and then ultimately I did case on responsibilities for the lgbtq i Iia group as well. And so when I left um, JP Morgan to come over to um, L'Oreal, everyone was like, well, how did you make the transition from finance to beauty? It was actually not that difficult because I, I came over to do diversity and MBA recruiting work, which is what I had done when I was at, at the bank. The only difference is now I am assessing talent based on, based on their ability to be um, creative and come up with innovative products and, and ideas versus their math and, and analytical skills. Uh, And then, so I've been with with L'Oreal for 12 years now. I've done roles, as I said, in the campus team. I served in an HR capacity, which was a stretch for me because, again, I'm not an HR person, but I've been learning along the way. And then ultimately, about five years ago, I had an opportunity to join the L'Oreal D&I team, diversity and inclusion team. And so here now, I'm actually responsible for for diversity strategy, which was new for me. Um, I still get to do events. I'm still getting to, to connect and assess talent. Um, and along the lines, while I'm developing this skill set, you know, 20 so years ago after September 11th, I picked up my hook again and started to crochet. Uh, and then ultimately I said, you know, I've been reading a lot of articles. The celebrities are knitting. I read Friday Night Knit Night or whatever. I can't remember the exact title of the book. Um, and I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to do this, this knitting thing. I'm learning that all celebrities or a lot of celebrities were knitting in their downtime on their movie sets or their show sets. So I'm like, okay. And so I went to a yarn shop in New York. I picked up some needles and threads. I went away for the weekend to, to, to Vermont. And based on the book, I taught myself to knit. At the time in Vermont, there was a cute little knitting um, cottage that I was so happy to stumble upon. And the woman said, "Okay, you know what? You're twisting your stitches. Let me show, let me show you the correct way to do it." And with that, was born a a knitter. And I have been knitting. I have not looked back in in 20 years since picking up my since re picking up my hook and and needles.
0: Yes, and you you shop along the way too. I've heard.
1: <laughs> shop. <laughs> Collect, yeah. So I, you know, I love. I, you know, I. Again, this is the influence of my my grandmother. I started traveling at that time, very young. I mean, I know I have friends now whose kids are they travel like all the time, but for back in the seventies. You know, to be able to take your kids on some ways on my grandmother and my mother's income was really a, a, a large feat. And so I spent a lot of time going to Panama. I spent time going to to Canada and other parts of the of the U.S. So I've always had that travel bug, and I talk about it constantly. And that travel bug has showed up now in my new life, where I get to travel for work. And my husband and I we love to travel as well. And my friends and I get to travel. And wherever I go, we find stumble upon, search out a yarn shop. Um, And I always try to pick up something to remember, you know, like in the beginning when I was on the campus team and we would go to different um, um, schools around the country, I would leave the team at lunchtime and they would go to lunch and I would go find a yarn shop. And depending on who was with me on um, on that trip and our relationship, I might buy a skein or two of yarn and make that person a cowl or make that person a gift. And, you know, so I've always loved, Stopping at yarn stores and shopping. And with the rise of social media, I, and particularly Instagram stories, I started sharing in my stories. Here I am in, 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 in London at a, at a yarn shop. Here I am in Texas, Colorado. And people would tune in, and they'd watch my Insta stories. And I thought, this is really cool. Uh, and so from my Insta stories came the idea, do I do a podcast? Is this something that people would watch and listen to? Um, and, my, and my dear friend, Trish, um, when, when, I, when I said, oh, I definitely want to create a podcast, but I want to, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm a marketer. So I went back to my uh, virtual map and, and, and thought about where is, where is the white space in the podcasting um, spectrum? And I realized that no one was taking people along on their yarn shop visits in, in a way that I could. And so, thus was born Cessy Knits the World, or Cessy Knits the World, um, where I take people along with me and show them, you know, not only the yarn shop, but things that I'm doing while I'm there, um, getting a cup of tea, brunch, or or, or whatever. So, I, you know, it's it's come together very authentically, very organically. This diversity, this knitting, this travel, and sharing it with the with the world.
0: Well, that's a good answer. And, and, you know, it's, it's so much fun that you can combine all of those things together. And it's important that you can do that as well. I, I, you know, we know how you got here and we know, you know, how um, you got into diversity. And we know, of course, how you got into the fiber arts world. How, how do you, who do you think you are and, and who do you think you represent in the, in the fiber arts world?
1: Ooh, that's, that's a good one. Who do you think you are? Or, Who do you who do you think that that you're not, right? So like challenge yourself. I kinda well you know more and more. more, What is what is your
0: what is your what what do you consider, not who you are, but what do you consider your primary role within the fiber arts community? Let's put it that way. That's a better thing to do. Who do you are is a is a very complicated question. I know somebody asked (laughs) me that I I have no idea. So let's talk about like your primary role.
1: Yeah, so I I see my role in the fiber arts community, um, one to just share the spectrum of all the things that, that could exist. So I love sharing what I'm doing. I love sharing the places that I am visiting. Um, at times when I think I'm oversharing too much, um, I typically get a, a message from somebody saying, thank you for showing me this. One, I've always wanted to go there. Or two, I never thought of going there. So I think that one part of, um, of my role is to just expose and share um, what I'm experiencing with others in the hopes that it would inspire them to do the same. Or maybe if they're in a place where they can't do, you know, whether physically or social or economically, they're not I'm able to, at least through what I'm sharing, they're able to take part in it and witness it and feel like they've gotten some exposure to whatever it is that I'm showing. So I think that's one of the roles that I serve. The other role that I think that I've been serving or I feel like I've been serving in the past year is just bringing a little bit of the of my diversity and inclusion training and learning to the diversity and inclusion training in, in, in the fiber space. So so having a voice that comes from, you know, again, I, I don't profess to be the expert or the only person that's talking about these difficult complex conversations, but I want to bring my perspective to it. Again, I go back to the white space. And so, you know, there are plenty of people talking about it. There are great voices in the conversation, but from the intersectionality perspective of being a diversity practitioner and a knitter, I think I occupy a pretty uh, unique space.
0: Well, that's a very good way to say it. So, one of the things that you do within that space, especially for our industry, is you serve on the uh, Soho Diversity Council. Uh, can you talk about that?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, there's something that I definitely think, um, and and a big word for me is legacy. And, and at some point, when I sit back and I sit and I look back over my life and I think about those milestone uh, opportunities, uh, defining. Moments. I think my, my my invitation to be amongst the, the inaugural group of the Diversity Advisory Council will, will definitely rank very high, um, high up there. So I, I was approached by the team from Soho, um, this, the CEO, to have a, a conversation about things that I had started to talk about. So I was sharing um, lessons and tips and resources in my Instagram stories, and it caught their attention. And they asked if I would want to join. To help them advance diversity and inclusion in both the Vogue knitting events as well as Vogue knitting magazine, and I thought that was incredible, and I still feel incredibly um, honored to be amongst the other—it's it's eight of us in total who serve in this in this capacity, and we're all—you uh, know—I say that the diversity just is, and we're all. Uh, different. We represent different aspects of the community, whether it be by our gender, our ethnicity, the place, places in the world that we live, or even our craft. So not everybody's a knitter, some weave and ceramic, um, other types of uh, te- textual um, activities. Um, and by bringing us to, to together, our, our task is to really challenge, advance, and motivate Vogue to Constantly look at their environment. How can we be more inclusive? Who's missing from the conversation? How can we make our events more inclusive? Because what tends to happen with people, and you know, everyone moves in the in the direction that they move. But unless you are accustomed to seeing who's missing, you move your you move through um through your life pretty content with until there's a reason for you to say, wait a second, my circle doesn't have anyone, and you can pick the dimension of diversity, and how can I be more, more in, in, inclusive um, of that? And so the DAC was able to not only look at the, the magazine and see, you know, how can the magazine be more in, in, inclusive and from a pattern perspective and a sizing perspective from the ethnic and uh, gender makeup of who, who they're featuring in the magazine? And the same thing goes for their events. So let's look, at, let's look at the roster of teachers. And how can we make sure that the teachers represent the attendees at the event? How can we, you know, um, ensure that people who are are differently abled or um, have, have a – um, um, disability, whether it's vis- a visible one or a physical one, how can we create a climate where, where they feel included? So everything from having wider rows at the events or having reserved seating at fashion shows or having a quiet room where people could go in and, and meditate. And so, you know, the the impact of the DAC was felt immediately by their first event. And, you know, gotten, I've gotten a lot of really good um, comments from people saying um, how they appreciate the thoughtfulness, you know, having, you know, if, if, the, if the marketplace, for example, um, opens at 9, let's open the marketplace an hour earlier so to allow the people who need um, extra time to move through the, the, the space to, to have that. And so I am beyond proud of the work of, of the DAC, and as I said, it will go down for me as one of the highlights of, of, of my life
0: fantastic yes and and it's an, an important group uh it, and it actually the, the decisions filter out across uh the entire industry um you know i i know for ourselves we've adopted the concept of the quiet room and and uh just kind of you know the, these things they get shared good 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 yeah. successes get shared out to the world so you know you're doing a good thing thank you very much thank you thank you So I want to talk a little bit uh, about you getting sick. We had a great conversation the other day about you getting sick with the, with the coronavirus. You both, you and your husband caught this. Mm -hmm. And um, not just your personal story, but it sounds to me like your husband had it way worse than you did. Um, Is that about right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But poor guy. And, 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 you know, the yarn husband too, which is, you know, makes him just a great guy right off the bat. Anyway. Um we one of the things we were talking about from the position of the coronavirus is that it, it does bring some really interesting racial and socio economic things into crystal clear relief. And and I and I think it would be interesting for us to talk a little bit about that. Can can you start the ball rolling from where we were talking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's 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 a lot that we can talk about and so in the time that we have, how much can I squeeze in, right? So, you know, there's a couple of aspects and because um I'm hyper aware, I'm paying attention and also the, in the work that I'm doing, I'm I'm looking to bring this to bring this this conversation to not only um, educate the employees that I work with, but a good portion of the employees that I I work with are facing the the community. So they're in store roles, they're they're hairstylists, um, they're the people when you go to try on makeup, that's putting on makeup, doing everything. So I'm very aware of how can I educate them. So there's two things um, that I see happening. And so the first thing is, you know, Covid, or since, or since um, we've had it here, um, we've seen an, a rise in the increase of racial bias crimes against the Asian um, community. And so, one of the things that I've been looking at is I partner with an Asian advertising agency called Amerasia, and Amerasia started um, and is working with a website called uh, racismiscontagious.com. dot com. And what racismiscontagious.com dot com does it allows Asian Americans to report incidents of discrimination, of violence, of, of hate crimes. And upon a recent look at at the, at the report, just looking at the dates of March 19th to April, April of this year, we saw almost 1,500 reports of various forms of, of, of violence against the Asian community from not being, from not, from, sorry, that's my dog, Um, from not being um, offered service or being refused service to blatant acts of either verbal abuse or physical abuse. I know people who have been spit upon. Um, There was a story in the news of a um, grandfather who um, was white and his uh, or it's a father rather who who is white, and his daughter is multiracial, and so she's she's Asian-looking in her appearance. Or, um, and a neighbor said, "You know, you and your kid get out of here. Or, you know, you're you're making us all sick, right?" And so the the impact of that on 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 that child will last a, a lifetime. Like, how do you re- recover from being told that you're the reason why somebody is sick, or you're making someone sick? So it really breaks my heart. To, to, to see and hear all, all the stories uh, of racism as it relates to the Asian community. A bigger chunk that really hits near and dear to me is the impact, um, the racial disparities of COVID and the coronavirus on the black community. And so looking and reading tons of articles and, you know, looking at the stats right now, you know, five people or I mean, black people are five times as likely to die from COVID than their counterparts, right? There's an old saying that says when America catches a cold, black people catch pneumonia, meaning that whatever, whatever is that, that splinter for the larger um, public, it's so much more severe and so much more critical for the, for the, for the black community. And, you know, in talking about it, we talked about like some of the underlying um, causes, which put us at a higher risk in general. Um, and a dear friend of mine uh, 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 pointed me to the, the Kelly Report. And the Kelly Report is a report that really um, outlines the health disparities in America and talks about the fact that we're, you know, these underlying um, causes and our disconnection from the healthcare system in, in general leads to this tremendous impact on the Black community as it relates to, to COVID. You know, facts like um, of the 10 illnesses or, 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 or diseases that cause death, African-Americans over-index in seven of them, right? So we're 60% more um, likely to have, have, have diabetes. We're three times more likely to die of, of asthma. Um, d- uh, despite the fact that there is lower exposure to, to, to um, tobacco, bl- um, black men are 50% more likely than white men to get lung uh, I'm, I'm cancer, things like the incidence of stroke, the incidences of even a, while cancer treatment is equal across all the, race, the races, but Black men have a 40% higher cancer death rate than white men, and African American or Black women have a 20% higher uh, death rate than white women. So, and these these incidents, these the disparities cover all of our our, our health arenas from everywhere and how we get treatment to how how people respond to us, right so the fact that black women over are, are highly likely to die from childbirth even in this day and age right and so it's you know it's great that both serena um, uh, Williams and um, Beyonce shared their pregnancy stories right and were able to advocate for themselves um, but there's so many w- women when, when when they say we feel a pain, the doctors don't think their pain is as severe as it really is, right? And so factor all that in and then add things like the, the, the lack of access to healthy food. We won't even go into what's ha- what still continues to happen with Flint and access to clean drinking water. The impact of COVID on the black community is, mag- is, is, is it's magnified. And we have, you know, we, we, we see the the effects of years of this, of these gaps playing um, magnifying now. The other thing that I would say is also as it relates to, to education, right? And so now all, all parents are asked to homeschool their kids, but now we have, now we're going to have a continuing widening of the education gap that, that, that exists. So everything from access to, 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 um, to to technology, you know, we don't, it took the a, a lot of Board of Ed's time because a lot of the students did not have access to, to, to technology. It wasn't even the fact that did they have a tablet or access to a, a laptop, which in most cases they did not, but then did they have Wi-Fi? Did they have Internet, right? So this whole uh, assumption of the parent working from home assumes that the parent has the ability to separate their time between their job, monitoring their children, and teaching their children, and this doesn't include the children who have le- ha- have learning needs. So things that these kids are missing are things like their their social workers, their guidance um, counselors, and this, these aren't only things that I'm saying black um, children took advantage of, all children took advantage of. But we're going to see the impact to continue to be very um, separate as it relates and make the educational gap wider. And the last thing that I will mention is also healthy meals in school, right? Because a lot of kids, um, for a, a lot of children, their healthiest meal, or some kids maybe even their only real meal, was the meal that was provided for in school. And so now we have to, you know, I I'm, I'm, I'm applaud the educational systems and, and the churches and the non and the nonprofits who have stepped up to provide meals not only for the children but for their families. So, I, I mean, there's so much that we could talk about. Um, I think, you know what, I will make one last point um, sure. as it relates to bias, right? So I talked about bias from the Asian community. Let's think about bias as it relates to masks, right? So people now ha- are being mandated to wear facial masks. So if you, there are two groups that are going to be impacted by the wearing of facial masks. One is the community of deaf and hard of hearing uh, people who need to read lips to understand, right? So how do you, so is it, so so do you now take off your mask to speak to them? I did see that a student or I'm assuming that she's a student um, came up with a mask where the mouthpiece is clear so you can read the lips or see the mouth, so that's great. The other group that is impacted um, already is black men. And so there have been incidents, you know, um, on, on, on the news that have gone viral where in, in, in uh, Florida, the police uh, pulled over their squad car to, uh, to arrest a black man who was moving um, items from a van filled with equipment because he was wearing a mask. Um, and it took them no time to, to put him in handcuffs and, 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 to, and to, to hold him, not realizing that this man was a doctor who had volunteered to test homeless on people, but their bias saw him not as a doctor but as a threat, right? Same thing where um, there were, there were uh, black men in a store that was tra- – a police officer was trailing them in this Walmart and occasionally would grip his gun because he saw them as threat. And he then tells them that there's been a nation and statewide um, order of the banning of a of, of face mask, which is not true. And so, you know, in, in this video that has gone viral – the men basically said we're being asked to leave the store because we were trying to be safe. And so as we think about, you know, bias and our opportunities to be more inclusive, right? Here are these groups that are being severely impacted in the midst of everything that is happening in the midst of the sickness in the midst of the death and grief. We need to really, as a people, look at how, look at our ways of being so that we can be more intentional so that we can be more inclusive.
0: Well, exactly. I did not know the story uh, uh, that we're talking about from Florida, but that is just, I mean, oh, I I mean, there's just no way to win. I mean, this is just, which of course, you know, has been the case for a long time. I'm not saying anything new, Uh, but, uh, you know, it it always, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, naive enough to think, Okay. No. I mean, but you're right. This, this has always been the case. There's no way to win in these situations for, (sighs) yeah. Okay. Well, the other (laughs) thing we can talk about, I get angry. Okay. And and obviously, you know, but, um, I'm sure you do too. The other thing we were talking about is socioeconomic where, you know, we were cruising around Facebook and, and people are, you know, their biggest complaint is, you know, gosh, they run out of things to binge watch on Netflix and, um, you know, it, I, every single time I see one of those things, I, I know they're just sharing and things like this, but, you know, I think you and I both know people out there that, you know, that, that they're worried about groceries. They're worried about, you know, yeah. they're, they're worried about the mortgage. They're worried about the rent. They're worried about utilities. They're worried about those kinds of things because, you know, they've been off work for so long. And, you know, it, it, it the experience that we have, you know, somebody like myself, um, you know, that that, that that probably is more comfortable, um, you know. It's time off. You know, it's not constructive time. Don't get me wrong. I'm worried about my business. Everybody should be worried about their business. But, you know, my experience is not the same kind of stress that other people's experiences. Right.
1: right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, that's something and I've I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Do no, I was just going to wonder if you wanted to speak to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is a conversation that has uh, come up a couple of times. I've had a couple of Zoom chats with friends, and we've been talking about the disparity of ex- experience, right? And so even the whole, the idea we're in this um, to, 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 to together, which is the, the, the hashtag or the slogan, I do believe that we're in this at the same time. I do believe that everyone, that people are having different experiences. So, you know, for some people, and I some places this is not my um Thought or quote for some people it's a, it's a trickle it's an inconvenience um and for others it's a it's a downpour it is it is a a, a a monsoon of the greatest magnitude um and when you think about socioeconomics and how it is into it 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 absolutely has a role in in how people are having a different experience you know for for those of us who and then I'm one and I don't take my my blessings for, for granted, but my company we immediately went to a work from home perspective, and so we've been working from home so this is a work day for me, and I'm doing my calls on you know on on, on the computer and we're and we're connecting there are other people as as we know based on the high number of 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 unemployment the fact that the unemployment office had to hire. A thousand new people to help. They've gone to seven hours of taking calls. Right, so there are millions of people who now have no paycheck. And so, think about think about the fact that you know most of the, the middle class are living paycheck to paycheck. Right, and so I I I I referenced in the early days, right, when when it went from wash your hands, social distance to buy all of the toilet paper and wall wipes and be, and be prepared to be in your house for X number of days. There were people who, depending on when they got paid, could not rush out and stock up. They had to wait for their payday, right? There are people who, you know, I'm, I'm loving the fact that this is bringing attention to terminologies from a class perspective, right? So people who were called unskilled labor, like my grandmother, right, um, are the essential people right they're the ones who are risking their lives in addition to the medical and the doctors and who are on the front lines I, I wholeheartedly salute the the doctors and the nurses who are risking their lives, and some are running into burning buildings by leaving their communities to come here to to to, to New York to help us. so I wholeheartedly um, give thanks and praise for them. but the other people, the people who allow me to order from seamless because one they're at, they're at the Panera making the food. And then there's the person, either the seamless guy, the DoorDash guy, or the Uber Eats guy who's bringing me my food. Uh, the Amazon workers, there are all these people who, you know, and I'm not going to say that the Amazon workers aren't skilled because they, they are. So that's not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But there's this group of people who we might have looked at them differently as a society that they're now the ones who are putting their lives at risk. And for most, they're doing it because they have to right like would would the mother who is at the at the cashier at Walmart checking people out rather be home with her family i have no doubt but she might consider herself blessed and fortunate to even ha- to even have a job at this and so you know there there are many that we need to really appreciate and thank and i think we've been doing a great we we've been doing a good job of acknowledging and thanking all. And I think we need to continue that because we're not all having the same experience as we go through this. We're all, we're all absolutely globally going through it, but everyone's experience as they go through it is vastly different.
0: Benjamin? Uh-oh.
1: Hoping I didn't do something here. <laughs> okay. So I can't hear Benjamin, but I think that. Everyone can still hear me, is what I'm hoping. Uh, so I'm just going to check on, on Benjamin to see if maybe something went out on on his end. <laughs> and as I continue to talk about the disparity, so I'm looking in the chat now to see. Uh, okay, so everyone can still could still hear me. I'm getting. So I'll give. I will. I will continue to talk and give Benjamin some time to take care of his um, of his time. Um, okay, so yes, this is, so we're not able to hear uh, Benjamin. So I know that, and i was going to go ahead and move forward. I know that one of the things that Benjamin had wanted me to talk about was the work that I'm doing in the, in the LGBTQIA community, uh, both from what I'm doing at work as well as outside of work. And that's something that I'm really, again, when I think about, the the um legacy and what i hope to hope to leave it, it is the work that i've done to support the lgbtq ia um community and so from a work perspective i was very pleased to uh you know it's constantly as as i said before looking around at your table to see whose voice is missing who whose uh, perspective is absent from the, the conversation. And so as a company, um, L'Oreal wanted to know that we are, but we are having a, um, that, that we are being as inclusive as we, are. Uh, possibly can right and so we looked at different communities we looked at veterans we looked at people of color we looked at the at the disability community and the other community that we looked at was the lgbtqia community um and part of the assumption was we have lgbtqia employees so we should be doing good because look we we looked at we looked at around at the at at, at the at the at the arena or at the workforce and saw and felt that we were, we were doing well there. But when I brought employees t- t- together, which is what we, we typically typically do for conversations to say, you know, we think that we're a best place for, for you to work, but rather than us pat ourselves on the back, um, let's just see, you know, do you feel that way? And so um, we learned that we actually were not as good as we thought we were, we learned that things you know things regarding um, our our fraternity leave wasn't as as equitable for everyone. we learned that our our infertility or fertility um, benefits wasn't as equitable for, for other people. We also learned that you know the human rights um, campaign um, um, uh, that grades um, companies and businesses on how gender equitable they are, we weren't scoring 100. We were scoring at 85, right? So there was plenty of opportunities for us to go from the perspective of our employees, from the perspective of our consumers. And so, you know, I was very happy to have the opportunity to start our first LGBTQ resource group for our employees to look at the policies, to look at the practices in in place, and have this core group of people who were members of the community as well as as, as, um, allies. Tell us how they felt. Tell us, you know, where we were missing and where we were lacking, and we were able to make tremendous um, changes and impact. And you know, I'm a big person who talks about um, legacy and starting out at at L'Oreal, which is the name of the group, is also for me um, something that will go down in my in our my. Um, Legacy of the impact that I've been able to have. So everything from, you know, looking at our infertility or the fertility uh, benefit that we had. Uh, that the language was really exclusive. If you were a a, a woman trying to, um, to, to 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 if you were a lesbian woman trying to, to conceive. If you were a hetero woman, you know, the the, the conversation is you know after 12 attempts, you are now um, eligible for this 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 benefit, but biology um, tells us that for the, the lesbian woman she's not going to be able to conceive a the child without the support and help. And so we were able to look at our language and modify our language so that employees who want to take advantage of this treatment could do so without waiting a year, right? The other thing that we did was really look at our role in the, in the, in the community. And so we have brands, you know, Keel's and other brands that have always been active Supporting the LGBTQIA community. And as a company, we were doing things, but to be able to harness all of our efforts and look and see where we can make a difference, right? And so, starting for us, that was starting um, a, a, an enhanced relationship with the Alley Forney um, Center. And the Alley Forney um, Center provides um, a roof <laughs> as well as support for LGBTQIA um, youth that have been uh, um, abandoned by their parents or kicked out by their parents or mistreated or abused by their, by their family. And so learning things and, you know, it's really when, again, it's like, if you don't pay attention, you don't know. And so while I have friends who are members of the community, it, it, for some reason I never thought about what happens to those who don't have a place, right? Um, what happens to those who parents say if this is how you if this is how you're going to be, I don't accept you, so get out of my house or what the parents who try conversion therapy on their kids right so here are all these kids who would rather not go to other established um, shelters so there' and I don't want to name um, shelters, the other ones, but there are. Shelters not focused on this dimension, but just shelters for homeless, which are actually not safe, right, because the LGBTQ youth go there and they're abused and they're beaten on. And so they would rather sleep on the streets. They'd rather sleep on the trains. And so Ali Forney provides them with a roof over their head, provides them with um, uh, training, um, reintroduces the concept um, so they can understand the relationship between their bodies and food. Because when they were living on the street, in some cases, they had to sell their bodies to eat. And so now here we are. you don't need to sell your body to eat, we're going to feed you, but we have to change your mindset on how you once responded to, to food. and so it's been a pleasure to have to be part of a group that supports um, simple things from providing metro cards because while California doesn't have beds for all the kids, but they have to turn turn kids away, right? And so, being able to have a metro card to get on the train, so if you're going to ride the A train, which is the longest train in Manhattan for the whole night, at least you can get on the train legally. Um, providing them with gift cards to different restaurants, whether it's McDonald's or, or Dunkin' Donuts, so that they can have the right to sit there because they've ordered a, a cup of coffee, and so now I'm going to sit here and nurse this, this cup of coffee in a Seemingly safe environment, um, and so the first thing that I thought of in week one of of our of our um, quarantine is where do these kids go, right? Where do these kids who, in Forney, and some can, some might be able to, to still um go there, but the countless um, others who are homeless, where do they go during this this um this time? Um, to still be safe, right? And then the other thing um, that I that I, I thought about, because that's just how my mind works, is what about the people who are sheltering in place in abusive relationships, right? So I, I know we're going to see an increase in in domestic violence as as everyone is sheltering in place, and not not every situation is is a healthy one. That's a couple of the things that I'm doing. Um, you know, to make a difference. My 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 invite is everyone to think about their own sphere of of of, of influence and what could they do in order to make a, a difference. Um, I'm gonna turn the volume up on my thing because I think I might be able to hear Benjamin through my computer. Let me see if that works. Benjamin, I think I can hear him.
0: Hello. Well, that was fun. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, I the the interface for the studio just completely locked, and because I oh, wow. dial in with Skype, uh, it locked my Skype account out. Sorry about that. No, um, okay. Obviously, I, just I need went to ahead talk and to talked you. about. Well, what we're going to do? What we're going to do is I'm going to download this thing and cut the uh, the the big empty clip out. Um, so we can okay. proceed like we were going before. Because I remember exactly where we were before we were talking about anything else here. Yes. So what were we were talking about? I...
1: Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was saying, um, and during the outage, I talked about the work that
0: I'm doing with the, LGBT,
1: the LGBTQ um, community.
0: Oh, you did? Well, I was yeah. going to ask you about that. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> There we go. Well, this was. This is going to be the strangest. Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. Uh, uh, you know, cut that out. I apologize uh, to the listeners already. That was a little impromptu. Uh, uh, Cecilia being her own host for a little bit. We'll probably we'll try not to have that uh, that done too many more times. I believe we talked about um, um, the. The disparity, the socioeconomic disparity. That's that's when we got cut off. And did you did we finish our conversation with that, or did we get interrupted, Jerry?
1: I I definitely well I definitely did. So I I okay. I, I covered all of the aspects of, of of disparity in both the black, the Asian, um, and many other communities that are being um, impacted by um, COVID. So that was definitely covered off.
0: And during your conversation, uh, about the, uh, LGBTQIA community, did you talk about your work with the alley Forney center? I did covered on all points. Okay. <laughs> Boy, see, this is what happens when you share bullet points. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, so that's
1: important. What, that's I that's do, important. Yeah.
0: what I should do is just like, have you guys call in and just talk after I give you the bullet points that host not needed <laughs> is what we have here. Um, I really apologize about that. Oh, that's sorry. actually the first time that's ever happened in my history with Blog Talk.
1: That's okay. I, I it, you know, had, it, it, it
0: worked out. It worked out. Yes, it worked out. Well, that's fantastic. All right, so let, let's let's move on uh, to a, a couple of things. Um, okay. You said these are more personal things, so we're going to talk a little bit about the personal stuff. You said that once upon a time, uh, your grandmother wanted to be in fashion. Correct? Yeah.
1: Yes. Absolutely
0: and, yeah, and so, you know, it turns out yeah go ahead
1: no go ahead <laughs>
0: i was i was going to say and it turns out that you know two generations later um your your daughter graduated from FIT correct
1: yeah yeah that was a you know um it's funny and i'm glad that that that, that you brought that back up because that's really a full circle for my grandmother moment right for her and when my grandmother passed away a few years ago and cleaning out her things, I found all these certificates that she had taken. You know, hours of classes, never really um, matriculating, but taking a class on pattern making and taking a class on the different um, on techniques. And I'm gonna butcher all of the all of the, the, the techniques that if my daughter was listening to, she's like, no, mom, but that's not what it, what it's called. But all right, my grandmother took all these classes, and so. I, the 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 magnitude of my daughter graduating from f i t with with her degree and my grandmother being able to be there to watch her walk down the aisle to watch her get her her her, her degree i can 't even imagine how rewarding that was. I think when you think about the sacrifices that you make and my grandmother making the sacrifice to come to this country and to do all the things that she did to get by. To make a better life for my mom and ultimately for me and, and and for my daughter, she had to be filled with tremendous pride in seeing her one and only grandchild graduate from a school that she just took classes at and so that just brings me such joy that i didn 't even re- like in this moment didn 't realize the 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 significance of that storyline.
0: I just think it's important to to tell, you know, success stories because success stories, you know, they happen over and uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's good to be grateful for, you know, where you came from and where you're headed. It's, it's all for everybody. It's always true. Absolutely. And you always come across as somebody that's grateful for the things that, that she has. Very much so.
1: Yes. I, I'm, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I do, I do strive to stay in a posture of gratitude, um, and I think strive because we all have moments, particularly right now as we're going through these uh, 90 days of, of COVID, it feels like, already where we have low moments, and it's in those low moments when you are missing things or you're thinking about the lack thereof, and whether it's the first world situation or or, or not. I, I respect everyone's right to miss what they miss. Um, but in that, in that gratitude, you're like, but I have, right? And I have, and I can, and I am. And that's directly from a colleague of mine who talks about, you know, um, have, can, and. And so I have a roof over my head. Um, I can, you know, knit. During this time, I can spend time with my husband. I can FaceTime with uh, with my family. I can slow down, and I am grateful for that. And so I've adopted Nick's can I have I am uh, three-point mantra at times when I'm like, okay, today is the day where I just want to cry. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I have friends who have lost um, family members and can't be there with their family members, and I can't be there to console my friends. But what, but what I can do is FaceTime or call them, and what I can do is carve out space for them to feel their feelings and know that they are supported and, and loved as we're going through this.
0: Well, and that's, I I mean, I think that's the goal, too. I I, I see a lot of um, people that are down, and you can see that they are people that are getting more and more down, and and, uh, we all have the opportunity to reach out and say, you know, hey, you know, you're not alone. I mean, they are. I mean, we're all kind of alone in this, except we can at least have somebody to talk to. And uh, I'm glad you spend the time doing that. Absolutely. (laughs) So we're, we're coming down to this, got a lot, that last few questions and for you. So y- you look at what you're doing and what do you believe is your mission in life or your point of grace?
1: Hmm. <laughs> um, I believe that my mission in life is to make a difference in some way, shape or form. Um, I believe that my mission in life is to have an impact on the people that come into my space um i pray for a lasting impact you know you, you and in talking about my bio you talked about the thousands of people that i that i've trained um it just brings me such peace when i see someone that i've trained or even in traveling the world to various knitting events and i meet somebody at the barcelona knit festival who comes up to me and says you know Thank you for what you said a year ago, or you know about X, Y, and Z. I remembered that, and and as a result, I sought to do this differently, or I sought to be different, or you know. So that just brings me such um, peace in knowing that the impact that I hope to have, in some way, shape, or form, is being had. Um, I took part in a leadership of um, a, um, a, a, a leadership program last year for ninety days, and. One of our assignments during the program, it it had us list our reach, our touch. Like, who have you touched? And so, you know, we all start to list, and you know, we don't realize how broadly our touch is like a ripple. And so, you know, the conversation that I might have with one person, they might go home and have that conversation at their dinner table with their family, and as a result, their kid now has a different way of being in shows up at school and is a little more tolerant and think about my impact from a ripple, a ripple um, perspective that I hope that my, my ripple effect will far out, um, my days on, on this earth that when I'm gone, people will remember the impact and the difference that I made.
0: How about any words of advice to the world right now as they struggle and they worry Yeah, Wow.
1: You know what? My words of advice um, comes from one of my favorite places, and that's Instagram. (laughs) And it's a quote that that I found by Sonia Renee Taylor. And the quote says, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage courting hate and lack we should not long to return we are giving the opportunity to stitch a new garment one that fits all of humanity and nature that quote has resonated with me and can resonate with me ever since the day that that i, that I read it and so in the well, rush man. to go back to normal what are we going back to right let's let's That's fantastic and i oh my goodness thank you so much <laughs>
0: No, that's fantastic. So so do me a favor, email me that, because I'd like to put it in your show notes, too, the quote, if you don't mind.
1: I will gladly, and I will give the credit to where I got it from.
0: Yes, absolutely. got to do that, too. So um, last thing, um, do you have anyone that you want to thank or make a shout-out to? Oh,
1: my goodness. there. I, You know, there's so many people that I don't want to list all the names, but I have to list um, my husband. Um He's such a supportive yarn husband, as we talked about, um, Jerome. And, you know, he's feeling better now. And, you know, he's just been really good rock that I can, can, can count on. And he constantly uh, puts a battery in my back when I'm feeling low. It helps me charge and get the energy that I can do. My other person is my daughter, Atrice. Um, seeing her walk her path seeing her march to her own beat has been so rewarding. You know, as parents, we always want a better, you know, version of a life, kids. And I love watching her carve out her space and her own sphere of, of, of influence. And, and I see how not only talented and, and, and creative she is, but she's so compassionate. Um, she shows so much of compassion for her friends and her community. And that just makes me so proud. I'm gonna group them all together, but I adore my knitter family, my knitter community from all around the world, um, who take the time to those who know me um, personally, and those who, who know me on Instagram, who, who take the time to send me a message of how my post or how my words made them feel um, and the impact that I am having. And so, and for, so I, you know, could not be. who um, who I am without the the love and support of my friends and my circle of friends and family.
0: Well, that's very nicely put on. I think you, you probably named everybody that uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll all appreciate that.
1: (laughs) You know what? I I have to name one person by their name and it's Libby. I have, because Libby um, introduced me to you and Libby has been a really good friend and a really good um, supporter. So I I have to, to mention her
0: you know uh i she's on my thanks at the end too so i I won't thank her right now because I'll <laughs> thank her later uh and uh she was texting me when I went off the air, so uh, I know she's checking in on us right now um well, wonderful, I'm sorry about the uh the interruption i'm I, I, thank you so much for taking the the role <laughs> of uh both uh interviewer and interviewee and uh carrying on uh I appreciate that then I won't have to edit this and retape and splice and all that kind of stuff. We'll just let you know, what happened, be part of the show. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's live folks. So you get what you get. I think I was out for like two minutes. Um, you know, so, uh, I do appreciate your patience on that. And I'm going to try to figure out how I can not do it again in the future. I want to thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and, uh, you know, and, and your thoughts. I, you know, you, I really do appreciate you're, you're a, you're a wonderful lady. And it's been wonderful to, to know you.
1: Thank you Benjamin um, thank you for the opportunity and you know like 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 I said at the beginning, you and I have always had these deep conversations that run the gamut from from knitting to world peace, and so I feel like we just like let everybody see a glimpse of the types of conversations that that you and I have.
0: Well, you know, we'll just get together one day and solve all the world's problems, okay? It's a date <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. You have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Cecilia Nelson-Hurt, one of the kindest and most dynamic people I know. During the show, we talked about a lot of things, including some websites and resources. We obviously talked about some things that I didn't hear because I was kicked off. Uh, But we're going to put that information and those links uh, online in the show notes on FiberHooligan.com within the next day or so. I also wanted to do a quick shout out for the Alley Forney Center. I know they are in need of donations, so if you have time, please check out dot org. They have a big donate button there, and if you can help, please do so. Okay, on next Monday, my guests will be Shannon Jason, Mullet, J- Shannon, and Jason Mullet bullsby the dynamic duo known as the Shiba Guys. The inspired creators of Shiba Guys Design Studio, Jason's pronouns are he and him, Shannon's pronouns are he and him, as well as they, them, and they. Their award-winning crochet, knit, and sewing designs have been featured in and on the covers of dozens of domestic and international publications. Together, the Shiba Guys team has over 300 published patterns and 11 books uh, credited to their name since their first design was featured on a magazine cover in 2010. Currently they are finishing a new book with CNT t publishing, publishing scheduled for release in December of twenty twenty. In addition to the design work, the Shibas are Sheba guys are sought after freelance sorry. In addition to their design work, the Sheba Guys are sought after freelance book packaging designers, having crafted books and photography for major publishing companies like Sterling Publisher, Leisure Arts, and Creative Publishing. The Shiba guys have been teaching adults for thirty plus years. Their enthusiasm, quirky sense of humor, or in reliable teaching style have made them sought-after teachers in both local and national venues, like Stitches Events, Sew so Expo, Houston Quilt Market. In addition to their live classes, the Shiba Guys also have a wide range of online classes from Blueprint and Interweave. Shannon and Jason are proud ambassadors of Aurifil, Clover, Berdina, Horn of America, the Daylight, the Daylight Com- Company, and are members of the Justice League. Yes, they have the capes to prove it. Shannon and Jason live in Seattle, Washington, with their three Shiba Inu, whom, who more or less support their ventures in sewing, stitching, and crafting as long as time is taken for walks and treats. Full disclosure, the Shiba Guys are two of my very good friends, so there's always a chance that this show could get away from us a bit. Uh, calendar and bring your funny bone, this should be a fun show. I also want to make sure that I that you know that I'm eager to hear from you. You can email me questions, recommendations, critiques, and feedback at fiberhooligan at gmail.com, and that includes suggestions for guests or cool things you'd like me to highlight in the show. I don't promise to respond to every email or message, but I do promise to do my best to read them all. If you ask a really great question or have an inspired idea, I may even read your email or message on the podcast. I'd like to thank my guest Celia Nelson Hurt for being on the show today and sharing her insights with us. It was great to spend time with her again. I'd like to thank the XRX and Stitches crew for encouraging me to start this podcast up again. I'd like to thank my partner and family, Elaine Raleigh, for her support. I'd like to thank Libby Butler-Gluck for all her encouragement and help in getting this podcast restarted. I'd especially like to thank my dear wife, Krista, for always believing me. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Well, that's our show, Barbara Hooligans. As we slide out of here today, I'd like to wish you all a glorious week. Remember, the only thing better than being creative is being kind to each other. The good news, we can do both. Thank you for spending this time with us. We'll see you next week on another edition of Fiber Hope.